the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I am amazed at how easy people give up their Christianity. They come to church someday and somebody doesn't smile at them. And they say, oh, poor me. Nobody loves me. I'm never going back to that church. Are you so weak that you are going to let somebody who didn't smile at you destroy your experience with Christ? Oh, God, have mercy on us. That's Pastor Mark Finley, and this is Hope Lives 365. At Hope Lives 365, we believe God answers prayer. Keep in mind this telephone number throughout today's broadcast, 888-244-HOPE. Here is Pastor Mark Finley with today's Hope Lives 365. How does a pastor choose what to preach about? Well, I can't speak for every pastor, but I can speak for this pastor. I love to preach sermon series. Typically, I'll preach about five series in a sermon series. And this is the way I choose. I begin to pray and ask God to impress me with the needs of the congregation and with what's taking place in our society. And usually, I don't make the decision quickly. And often, there are many thoughts that run through my mind. And when there's a thought that lodges in my mind that I cannot shake, and that thought is burning in my soul, I know I have to preach it. And that's the way I feel about this sermon series. As I've been meditating and praying over a new sermon series for Living Hope this spring, these words kept coming back to my mind. We're standing at the crossroads. I could not shake them. We're standing at the crossroads. Now, I'm convinced that America is at a significant crossroads, probably more significant than we recognize right now. We're standing at the crossroads in America today. Will this nation continue to champion religious freedom and religious liberty, or will this nation betray its calling? I'm convinced that America is standing at the crossroads. I am also convinced that the Seventh-day Adventist Church is standing at the crossroads. The decision before Adventism in the Western world is this. Will we continue to be a prophetic movement of destiny, or will we become simply another denomination? Has God called the Adventist Church to be a powerful, dynamic, life-changing movement, a movement raised up by God, or will this be another denomination? The challenge that Adventism faces is this. For 150 years, we've been preaching that Jesus is coming soon. How long can you preach that and still really believe it in your soul, not only preach it with your lips? Is the Advent movement still an Advent movement? We're going to be talking about these things. I believe America's at the crossroads. I believe the Adventist church is at the crossroads. And I believe living hope is at the crossroads. Will living hope settle down into complacency and become a church where people enjoy Sabbath fellowship, as important as that is? Or will it become a dynamic witnessing force to make a difference in the community? With members on fire for God, 
witnessing for their friends and neighbors, so excited about the programs that they're bringing them. That's the real challenge for Living Hope. We are one year old. There is initial excitement. But will the church settle down to become merely a Sabbath church? Or will it be a dynamic force, the body of Christ, witnessing to people all week, so excited about every program that they can't wait to come? That's a challenge. I'm convinced that America is at the crossroads. I'm convinced that the Adventist church is at the crossroads. I'm convinced that living hope is at the crossroads. And I'm convinced that each one of us in our personal lives today are at the crossroads. The devil attempts to lull us into a careless, complacent, compromising spirituality. Each one of us have to decide, do I have enough Christianity to make me feel good, but not enough to transform my life? Is mine a comfortable Christianity that requires little? Or is it a radical, revolutionary Christianity that is life-changing? Now, when you stand at the crossroads, the decisions you make in life are critical. Throughout Bible history, men and women have stood at the crossroads. Israel stood at the crossroads. And God said it's time to move into the promised land. But their lack of faith and their fear kept them wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Daniel stood at the crossroads when he sat at the banquet hall of Babylon. And he made a decision to purpose in his heart to serve God. And this man standing at the crossroads impacted the entire nation of Babylon for God. Joseph stood at the crossroads. And he found that making the right decision is not always easy. When he was tempted with moral impurity, he threw up his hands and said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? But his right decision ended him in the wrong place. His right decision ended him in prison. And as the result of that, he languished in that prison for years because he made a right decision. But then he ended up serving as the ambassador to Egypt in a prominent place there in Egypt. He found that in his faithfulness, God was faithful. And he ended up serving in the palace. He went from the pit to the prison to the palace. Esther stood at the crossroads and saved thousands of Jews. Judas stood at the crossroads and he failed miserably. Two crucified thieves stood at the crossroads. One took the road to eternal life and the other took the road to eternal death. This morning, I want to talk to you about two men at the crossroads, Jesus and Pilate. We take notice of the contrast of Jesus and Pilate, and I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Luke, the ninth chapter, two men at the crossroads, Jesus, the living Christ, and Pilate, the Roman prefect. You're taking your Bible and turning to Luke, the ninth chapter. We're beginning here in Luke, chapter 9, verse 51. Jesus knew that the time of his death was near. Jesus knew that before him lay the crown of thorns, the nails, the cross. Before Jesus lay the ridicule and farce of the trial. Before Jesus lay Calvary's mountain and Golgotha's hill. We take our Bibles in turn. Two men at the crossroads, Luke 9, verse 51. Luke, the ninth chapter, the 51st verse. And the scripture puts it this way in Luke, the ninth chapter, talking about Jesus. It says, now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up. God has a divine timetable. 
In the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 8, it says, In due time Christ died for the ungodly. Galatians 4, verse 4 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus is baptized. He says, The time is fulfilled. In the divine drama of destiny, God has a divine timetable. And here in Luke 9, verse 51, it says, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up. The time of the crucifixion was near, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. I love the word steadfastly. It means to fix firmly. It means to set the face. It means a fixedness of purpose in the face of difficulty and disaster. You know, steadfastness is the opposite of vacillating. It's the opposite of wavering. It's the opposite of compromising. Steadfastness is the opposite of a spineless jellyfish. It's the opposite of a weak-kneed Christian. It's the opposite of accommodating Christian. Steadfastness has to do with a determination of purpose. The Bible says that Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Steadfastness has to do with perseverance. It has to do with endurance. It has to do with never giving up. I am amazed at how easy people give up their Christianity. They come to church someday, and somebody doesn't smile at them. And they say, oh, poor me, nobody loves me. I'm never going back to that church. Are you so weak that you are going to let somebody who didn't smile at you destroy your experience with Christ? Oh, God, have mercy on us. God, have mercy on us. Steadfastness has to do with being at work, and when an off-color joke is told, saying, no, thank you. It's an unwavering compromise. Steadfastness has to do with when you cannot pay the bills, you're still faithful with your tithe. Steadfastness has to do with that job that's offered to you on Friday night, and you say, I cannot do that and be faithful to Jesus Christ. Steadfastness has to do with the determination to follow Jesus at any cost. It is an unwavering commitment to the living Christ. The Bible says, now when it came to pass, when the time had come, for him to be received up. He steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. There's something solid about that. There's a perseverance about that. There's a faithfulness about that. I think of the story of David Livingston. He's a pioneer missionary to Africa. He walked 29,000 miles preaching the gospel of Christ in Africa. Some of us have difficulty driving 30 minutes. But here, David Livingston, 29,000 miles. I remember I was preaching in Port Moresby, New Guinea. And one day I saw a group that came and they looked haggard, they looked tired, they looked weary. It was a group of about 12 people. And they came to the evangelistic meeting and I said, how long have you been traveling to get there? And they said, one week, Pastor. I said, one week you traveled to get here? Oh yeah, Pastor, we traveled one week. How did you come? Well, we live on an island off the coast of Papua New Guinea. And the first thing we do, Pastor, is to walk to the boat. That took us only two days, Pastor, to walk to the boat. Then we had to take the boat for another day, Pastor. We took the boat. Then, Pastor, we had to take a truck for a few hours. Then we had to come over the mountains for four days, five days, on the Kokoda Trail. I said, I know that trail. That's a dangerous trail. Many people get robbed on the trail. Oh, Pastor, we only got robbed twice. But we are so delighted to be here. These people took a boat, they took a bus, they took a truck because their hearts were burning to hear the word of God. 
Pastor Mark Finley will continue with more in just a moment. Stay tuned. You can grow in your knowledge of God's Word by enrolling in online courses by Pastor Mark Finley. Go to HopeLives365BibleStudy.com. That's HopeLives365BibleStudy.com. When you go there, you will find wonderful courses such as Bible prophecy, discipleship, leadership, or improving your health. These courses are especially designed to help you discover deeper insights into the Bible. Go to HopeLives365BibleStudy.com. That's HopeLives365BibleStudy.com. Or call right now to register, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. 888-244-HOPE. Here now, once again, Pastor Mark Finley. David Livingston walked 29,000 miles. He married a new bride, and he marries this bride from England. She comes to Africa with him, and within a few weeks, she gets malaria and dies in Africa. The Scottish preachers come out against Livingston, but Livingston is faithful. And this is what Livingston writes in his diary. Send me anywhere, only go with me, Jesus. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me, Jesus. Sever me from any tie but the tie that binds me to your service and to your heart, Jesus. Jesus calls us once again to a steadfastness that the world does not understand. To a commitment that is deeper than something that's superficial that the world does not understand. Jesus calls us to a radical discipleship that is so foreign from this world's thinking. We find Jesus struggling with the decision of discipleship in Matthew, the 26th chapter. He steadfastly sets his face to go to Jerusalem. And here in Matthew, chapter 26, Jesus struggles over this whole issue of discipleship. The world trembles in the balance. And Jesus recognizes that the greatest trial of his life is before him. He recognizes that the greatest challenge of his life is before him. As he's praying in Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is struggling with the decision, should I go to the cross? He recognizes not only the physical pain, but the mental, emotional, and spiritual agony that he'll experience if he goes to the cross. And here in the 26th chapter of the book of Matthew, We listen to the pathos of Jesus' words. We feel the intensity of his prayers. We imagine him that night in Gethsemane, kneeling neath the olive trees in the darkness. In verse 36, Jesus says to his disciples, Matthew 26, verse 36, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter, and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Jesus is on his knees. His face is in the dirt. He sweats great drops of blood. And as Christ is praying in Gethsemane, he sees before him lost humanity. He recognizes that going to the cross, he will experience the condemnation, the guilt of the world's sins. He recognizes that he will experience this wrenching agony of separation from his father on the cross. And as Jesus prays, 
He sees the world before him. He does not know if he can go through the experience of the cross. Verse 39. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now notice Jesus says, Father, if it's possible, if there's any way to save the human race without the cross, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, let's look at that text a little more carefully. First, the phrase, oh, my Father. The Gospels present the Gethsemane story in three places, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In each of these three places, there is a little bit different nuance to the story. The reason there are three Gospels is because each Gospel writer, looking at the story, gives you a different perspective under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So keep a marker in Matthew 26. We're going to come back to that. But we want to look at this expression, O oh my Father. And you find a word in Mark the 14th chapter that you do not find in Matthew the 26th chapter. So we're going to Mark the 14th chapter. And you're looking at verse 23. Mark 14. And we're going to look here as we look at Mark chapter 14, and Jesus is praying, and let's go beyond verse 23. It's actually verse 36 that I want. And you'll recognize quickly that this is the same story. Verse 35 of Mark 14 says, He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. But notice what it says in verse 36. It adds a word in the text. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but you will. What word do you notice before the word Father that you did not notice and was not included in Matthew 26? Abba. The word Abba is the word that a young child calls for his daddy. It's a word of endearment. It's a word of warmth. So in Gethsemane, when Jesus prays, he prays like a little child. He prays like a nine-year-old child, coming to the father, saying, Oh, Daddy, I know you'll never cause me any harm. Oh, Daddy, I know that you want only the best for me. Oh, Daddy, hold me in your arms. Oh, Daddy, I'm fearful. Oh, Daddy, I'm afraid. Oh, Daddy, please hold me. So we see the warmth of that in Gethsemane. We see Jesus crying out to his father. We see him addressing him as a daddy who loves him. We go back now to Matthew chapter 26. And we look at Matthew chapter 26. And you're looking there at verse 39. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, oh, daddy, never let me go. Oh, daddy, hold me in your arms. Oh, daddy, warmly embrace me. Oh, daddy, give me courage and strength. Oh, daddy, help me face what I've got to face. Matthew chapter 26, we're looking at verse 39. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, when the cup is handed to you, you can have three reactions to the cup. The first reaction is to resent the cup. Now, what was the cup? The cup was the greatest trial that Jesus would ever face, the cross. The cup was Golgotha's mountain. The cup was nails driven through his hands. The cup was bearing the sins of all humanity. What was indeed the cup? The cup for Jesus was denial by Peter, betrayal by Judas, rejection by the Jews. So the cup was this physical, emotional, spiritual agony. Now, when you face the cup in your life, 
You may face your cup. Your cup may be a physical illness. Your cup may be the death of a loved one, father, mother, child. Your cup may be financial disaster. Your cup may be made redundant or fired at work. When you face the cup, there are three reactions. Number one, you can resent the cup. You can be angry because of the cup. You can say, Jesus, why did I take this cup? Jesus, I don't deserve this cup. The second thing you can do with the cup is to resist the cup. You can try to resent the cup. The second thing, you can resist the cup. You can fight against the cup. You can battle against the cup. You can say, I'm going to handle this thing, and I'm going to fight this thing. You can resent the cup and become bitter. You can struggle against the cup. And you can become so fatigued. Reminds me of a poem written by William Wordsworth. He wrote the poem about a bird in a storm. And a terrible storm came up in the country of Norway. And this bird was caught in the storm. And this bird fought against the storm. He battled against the storm. It's one of Wadsworth's famous poems. And he battles against the storm. And he fights against the storm. And this bird is making no headway against the storm. The rain is coming down. The wind is blowing on the bird. And pretty soon the bird says, I give up. And just spreads his wings. And flies on the breeze. And the breeze takes him to the beautiful green fields of England. And the bird lands in the sunshine. It's one of those rare days of the sunshine in England. The bird lands, and the bird is so blessed. He's dancing among the flowers. Are you resenting the cup that God has put in your hands? Bitter against that cup, angry against it? Are you not resenting the cup, but resisting the cup, fighting against it? Or do you receive the cup? Knowing that if you receive the cup... You'll be blown on the breezes of eternity to the fields of glory where Jesus is going to bring you. Jesus said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but thy will. Jesus received the cup. Now notice what the scripture says. The scripture says that Jesus receives that cup. And as Jesus receives the cup, he said, Father, if it is your will... If it is your will, I will go to the cross. If it is your will, I will face Calvary. Now, the decision of every life is found in Matthew chapter 26. And I want you to see it very clearly this morning. The issue of the Christian faith is who has the will. Matthew chapter 26. Notice the prayer of Jesus. Jesus says, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So the question is, where is your will? In every decision of life, have you surrendered your will to the will of Christ? Is the greatest desire of your life to please Jesus? Can it be written of you as it is written of Jesus? I do those things that please him. Is the greatest desire of your life to give your will to the living Christ. Some time ago, a hymn was written. And the hymn was written by Benjamin Smolik. And he wrote a hymn called, My Jesus As Thou Wilt. It's an unusual hymn. And he based it on that passage in Mark 14, verse 36, that says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Smolik's hometown was destroyed by fire. He wrote the hymn after that time. When his hometown was destroyed by fire, his two children were burned to death. 
he himself later became so traumatized by his town being destroyed by fire and by his children being burned to death that he had a nervous breakdown. He became paralyzed in a stroke and he developed blindness. Now imagine it. Your hometown is burned. Your house is burned. Your two children are consumed in the fire. You get a stroke and you're paralyzed in the bitter cup that he was given to drink. He wept and wept and said, Jesus, I can't understand this. I don't know why this has happened, but I know out of this, you're going to bring your perfect will. Thanks for listening today to Hope Lives 365 with Pastor Mark Finley. We are a listener-supported ministry and would love for you to partner with us as we continue to present Christ-centered biblical truths of Scripture in practical, relevant ways. Visit the website hopelives365.com to find out more about Pastor Mark Finley and Hope Lives 365. Call 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673 or visit hopelives365.com. Thanks for listening today to Hope Lives 365. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.